Welcome back to Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history, fantastic stories, and engaging personalities of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. After the last few weeks where we've been arguing about the best athletes of all time at different schools, today we go back to our original plan and we climb into the Wayback Machine. In previous episodes, we've time-traveled back to 1946 and back to 1980. In the post-war days of 1946, we found a lot that looked foreign to the modern prep sports fan. Fewer sports, no girls, different state qualifying, and plenty of schools that are long gone now. In the 1980 episode, we called it the birth of the modern era, and we found a lot that might not be exactly familiar, but was easily connected to the way we do things now. Today, though, we head to the fall of 1996, November 22nd, 1996 to be exact, and the modern fan will feel at home in many of the trapping circumstances and major actors we find around high school sports then. In fact, if there's anything jarring about 1996 for us, it is the shock that these years could really be 20 years in the past. 20 years. But back to November 22nd, 1996. As we arrive, it is early in the afternoon of a clear, cold November day, and we are at the University of Nebraska's Memorial Stadium. It is the first year that the NSAA will host all the state football finals in one location, the home of the reigning two-time national champion, Nebraska Cornhuskers. We are here for the end of the eight-man-one state championship game between the Anselmo Myrno Coyotes and the two-time defending champion Dodge Pirates. We are standing on the cold, shadow-covered west sideline, and we're just behind Dodge star running back Corey Eichmeyer. Time is running out in the fourth quarter, but Eichmeyer has already etched his name deeper into the history books. His 180 yards on the ground today have pushed his rushing yardage to 2,965 yards for the season and 8,763 yards for his career both state records. Add to those numbers his points for the season, 488, and his career, 1,021, his touchdowns this season, 68, and his consecutive 100-yard games, 22. All those are state and national records, and it's obvious that the 5'8", 165-pound senior is one of the most decorated Nebraska prep football players in history. Out on the field, his Pirates are leading 42-34, but momentum has been leaning the Coyotes' way ever since Eichmeyer left the game with a severely sprained ankle and joined us on the sideline. Dodge hasn't been able to score or even move the ball much since the star running back limped to the sideline after a 42-yard punt return. It was 42-28 then, but the Pirates went nowhere with the ball without Eichmeyer, and the Coyotes struck quickly on a Brad Miller to Chad Duria pass. Dodge couldn't run out the clock, and Anselmo Myrna got one last chance, 61 yards from the goal line with three seconds left. There's only time for one final heave toward the end zone with Miller, hoping to take advantage of Duria, his 6-foot, 5-inch tall wide receiver, and maybe a lucky tip or two. But before the Coyotes can snap the ball and try that, we will see Eichmeyer drag his injured ankle back onto the AstroTurf to help his team defend. 
Pirate co- coach Gordon Pillmore will say later that it was mainly a psychological substitution. We felt with him out there, the team would do better, he told the Journal Star after the game. But Eichmeyer has one more play in him, jumping off his one good foot to knock the Miller pass harmlessly to the turf and then to lead the Pirates' three-peat celebration by jumping up and down on his one good leg. The D1 game was the third of seven that Memorial Stadium hosted in 1996. On Thursday morning, a new tradition was born, with the D3 six-man game between the Royal Blue Wallback Mustangs and the Purple Milligan Roosters. That game kicked off at 11 a.m. Thursday, less than 72 hours after those two teams had played their weather-delayed semifinals on Monday. The tight UNL schedule that allowed the NSAA and the Lincoln Conventions Bureau to use the hollowed Husker ground didn't have any wiggle room to give the players any more rest. But despite that and the cold and sometimes downright inhospitable weather conditions throughout the three days of the championships, the spectacle would draw over 26,000 fans and cement itself as a Nebraska tradition. As far as the players themselves were concerned, I, I think that tradition was firmly cemented long before the gate receipts were ever totaled up. It happened as Wallback center turned quarterback, not that unusual under six-man rules, Jeremy Wagner walked off the field slowly reveling in his team's 54-20 championship win. He told the Journal Star's Ken Hamilton, That was fun. I even got a touchdown. You know, that's pretty darn neat. All the guys that have scored touchdowns here, all those great Huskers, I got a touchdown today. The difference is, I ain't that good. You won't see me playing here again. I would if they'd asked me, but that's a dream that's never coming true. But he played there. He came out of the tunnel. He ran and blocked and tackled on that turf, on that holy Husker ground, that field of Husker dreams. And that is why the championship games are still played there and will be into the foreseeable future. Despite the emptiness of the stadium, despite the lack of high school atmosphere, despite the difficult scheduling, for most of the players, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, a dream come true. That's why I can't imagine the finals ever moving again. And 1996 was the beginning. But let's go back to the beginning of 1996, when most of the attention was on someone who would play there in the future. Future Heisman Trophy winner Eric Crouch and his Millard North teammates. The Mustangs had been 11-1 in 95, and with Crouch and future NU fullback Judd Davies, they were the preseason number one pick. In the season's first week, though, they'd run into a roadblock. The 1995 state champions from across the suburb, Millard South. North lost 27-10. The Indians, not yet Patriots, would vault to the top of the ratings and set up a three-way Class A story between the two Millard schools and their southern neighbor, Papillion La Vista. The traditional North-South showdown in Week 1 wasn't the only prep football story in Millard in the first week of the season, though. Millard West, in its second year of existence, won its first varsity football game, upsetting top 10 ranked Omaha Benson and the Bunnies' two junior stars, Randy Stella and Kenton Keith. The Wildcats had been 0 9 in their debut season. 
As I look back on this season, it was tempted for, tempting for me to look at this modern playoff year through the lens of the last football season we looked at on this podcast, 1945, when it was all about jockeying for pole position and the mythical ratings title. Using the puzzle formula we developed in 45, we'd look first for a Big Ten champion, but of course the Big Ten Conference has been gone for a decade in 1996. The teams are still out there, though, and they simply beat up on each other in a round-robin fashion all year in 96. At first, Grand Island and Columbus looked strong. Then they fell, and Fremont and Norfolk looked like contenders. Those two soon stumbled, and Kearney had a brief moment in the sun, but soon faded as well. In the end, GI was back in the ratings, but none had fewer than three losses, and none seemed anything like a state title contender. The 45 system says to look next to Lincoln. Who's the best there? Well, that would be Lincoln Northeast, which rode a week one upset of 90s powerhouse Lincoln Southeast to the Rockets' first city championship since 1982. But Speedy Northeast, led by Husker recruit Irwin Sweeney, had a midseason lull where they dropped back-to-back games to Creighton Prep and Kearney, leaving Southeast, whose prospects rose when All-State safety Ryan Doak also took over the night quarterbacking duties after the loss to the Rockets, looking like the best Capital City squad, but leaving Lincoln without an obvious state championship contender. Unlike some years, the regular season schedules of 96 were set up to answer most questions, as Papillion was scheduled to play both Millard Powers and decide the Omaha champion, if you will. In Week 5, the Monarchs, led by quarterback Mike Muma and the state's best passing offense, took over the number one spot with a 31-7 runaway over Millard South. The Papio defense, led by All-Staters Shane Johnson and Jeremy Schlechter, did its part, twice turning away the Indians on short fields after turnovers when the game was still in doubt. Millard North continued to make its case, even beating Southeast and Northeast without Crouch as he recovered from an ankle injury. In between those two games against Lincoln foes, though, was their showdown with Papio, and without the speedy Mustang QB on the field, some doubted whether the Monarch win would be the last word on the subject. Papillion would complete its regular season unbeaten, and in the old days, Greg McBride or Condi Sargent would have named them the undisputed champs. Those two Raiders might even have seen a lower number of complaint letters, as the Monarchs had not only defeated their two main rivals head-to-head, but all of the others had at least two defeats. Millard South had picked up another in an upset in the finale. But this is the playoff era, so Papillion still has four wins to go if they want to be state champion. Class A had expanded the playoff field to 16 the year before, despite only having 25 schools in the division. By the time the Class A bracket was set and started, the other classes were already a round or two in. In Class B and the two C classes, all teams participated in what was called qualifying rounds, basically a basketball districts type bracket. The same was true in six-man, while in the eight-man classes, the top 32 of 56 teams each made the playoffs. We'll take a look at those playoffs and the nasty weather that accompanied them in a little bit. But first, let's call a timeout to talk about the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame. I think my favorite part of the hall is the interactive computer screens with pictures, information, and videos from up and down the Nebraska prep sports timeline. If you haven't made a trip to north of the Haymarket yet to see the Hall of Fame, it's time to do it. 
check out the website at nebhalloffame.org. Fall hours are Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. While all that football was going on, there was plenty of volleyball filling the sports pages of 1996 as well. Decades of success by Terry Pettit and the Husker Volleyball Program, 14 straight NCAA tournament appearances, four Final Fours, and last year in the fall of 1995, winning the national championship, had fueled exponential growth in high school volleyball in the state. Nebraska high schools were producing not just great Husker players, but filling Division I roster spots throughout the Great Plains, the Midwest, and the nation. Nebraska club teams were traveling the country and being very competitive at big-time tournaments, and those girls were coming home to lift the level of their high school teams and rivals. At the top of that surge in talent are Bellevue West and coach Joanne Kappas. The Thunderbirds entered 96 on a four-year run as state Class A champs and as winners of six of the last seven crowns. Their top gun is 5'11 junior Jamie Hamm. They start the year at the top of the ratings. Another prospect leads the team at number two, six-foot-one-inch sophomore Sarah Westling at Lincoln Northeast. Another Division I recruit in the state testifies to the spread of quality volleyball and the availability of top competition across Nebraska. Kim Behrens at Little Class D1 Chapel in the Panhandle. Behrens, a 6'1 senior, is the top middle hitter prospect in the entire nation after an all-state year as a junior and an off-season excelling at the top club volleyball team levels nationally. Other Nebraska girls getting a lot of college attention were Carmen Burbach and Audrey Pfeiffer at Columbus Scotus, junior Jenny Kropp at Grand Island Central Catholic, sophomore Laura Pilikowski at Columbus, Six foot four junior Jane Christen at Lewiston, Angie Oxley at o- Ogallala, and Amanda Wilnard, who transferred from Beatrice to Lincoln Pius for her junior year. Nebraska prep and club volleyball are operating at a very high level. Oxley and Ogallala topped the preseason class B chart, with Grand Island Northwest, Aurora, and Pius X close behind. Central Catholic and SCOTUS are picked in C1, while Tracy Ankeny and her Laurel Concord Bears are the C2 pick. Barron's Chapel Buffaloes and Kristen's Lewiston Tigers are the picks in D1 and D2. Bell West will not cruise through this regular season as it becomes apparent that talent is developing all over the state. They will take losses from Papillion, Norfolk, and Lincoln Northeast, three teams that will all take a turn at the top of the ratings. The Thunderbirds had some impressive wins, though, including a trip to the prestigious Nike Challenge in Chicago, where they beat two nationally ranked teams and finished third in the 24-team tournament. By district time, no one is safe. Former number one Norfolk falls to Pilikowski's Discoverers and is aced out of a wild card when current number one Lincoln Northeast is run out of the gym by Lincoln East in straight sets, 15-2-15-9. The Spartans' late-season surge is even more dramatic when you remember that legendary coach Myron Olerking had emergency heart angioplasty in the middle of the season. Olerking, who started the East program in 1972, retired from teaching in 1995, but continued to coach the Spartans through 2008 
His 37 years saw 793 matches won. He made 22 state tournament appearances and won six Class A titles. The all-time winningest coach in Nebraska high school history died just this last February. The format of the state volleyball tournament in 1996 hadn't caught up with the surge of volleyball talent. It's still just a two-day tournament. A team must win two matches on Friday and come back Saturday for the title game. Day one is spread throughout Lincoln High Schools, and the finals are at the Pershing Center. All matches are still best of three. Ron Powell of the Lincoln Paper will write a column in 96, calling for the state to up the quality of the tournament to match the quality of the play. He wants three days, better venues, and best of five matches to match the event with the quality of volleyball the state is producing. That call will be heated, but slowly. It will take about a decade. Championship games will be moved to the Nebraska Coliseum, the then home of the Amazing Husker program in 2004. A three-day tournament and five set matches will arrive in 2005. Despite the abbreviated nature of the 96 tournament, there was still plenty of excitement. In D2, the Greeley Bulldogs entered the tournament having never won a state tournament match, but they put together two wins Friday to earn a title match with the 6-4 Kristen and her defending state champion Lewiston teammates. The Bulldogs overcame the taller Tigers by attacking. Senior Diane Ondracek told the papers, We didn't lose our aggressiveness. In order to beat a big team, we had to play bigger. Greeley won straight 15-13 sets. State championship coach Jesse, Jason Owens was a first-year teacher and a coach with no volleyball experience. The girls taught me more than anything, he said after the match. In D1, the superstar fared better, but it wasn't easy. Barons put a state record 42 kills on the floor, but Chapel survived a three-set championship battle with the Polk-Cordville Wildcats, 15-9, 8-15, 16-14. Barons, who had been recruited heavily by Nebraska and almost every other volleyball program around, finally decided on the Huskers. Ironically, NU didn't have any more room in their recruiting class when she did. No problem, she decides to walk on. Don't worry, she'll eventually earn a scholarship and have a great career with Nebraska. She will be at the service line when Nebraska wins the 2000 National Championship. In another reminder that this was an amazing era in Nebraska prep volleyball, it is Columbus's Pilikowski who will finish that title-winning point with the kill in 2000. In Class C2, Ann Kenny and her teammates and Laurel Concord will capture the state title in straight sets over basketball power, Sandy Creek. In C1, volleyball fans got the matchup they were looking forward to as powerhouse programs Columbus Scotus and Grand Island Central Catholic collided. It was the third straight year those two played in the championship match, with each having won one title in the first two. GICC had survived a three-set match with Tri-County in the semifinals, while the Shamrocks had cruised through the first four rounds, giving up only 12 points in the two matches combined. The final would be more of a challenge, but Scotus would prevail in three, 6-15, 15-9, 15-7, to win their second state title in what will become a string of five. The Class B bracket had placed the two teams that had been ranked in the top two spots for most of the year, Pius and Ogallala, on the same side. Pius took advantage of the rotations when Husker recruit Angeli Oxley was in the back row for the Indians to win in straight sets. 
In the final, the Thunderbolts would meet surprise finalist Omaha Gross and were nearly perfect in sweeping to the title, 15-4-15-6. It was the first state title for the Bolts. They have won six more since. In Class A, Bellevue West denied parity and assumed its normal spot in the state final with straight sets wins over Omaha Marion and Papillion. On the other side of the bracket, Crosstown Bellevue East shook things up. The Chieftains opened by dispatching Pilikowski and her Columbus team in straight sets. Then they claimed the upset of the year, taking a 16-14 third set win from top-seeded Lincoln Northeast. The Cinderella story would end in the all-Bellevue final, as Bellevue West claimed its fifth straight state championship in an emphatic fashion, 15-3, 15-7. Let's take another quick time out to talk about the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame. Another favorite display for me is the football helmets. I'm, you might say, a football helmet guy. I love them. And the Hall of Fame has helmets from almost 100 high schools around the state. If you haven't made the trip there yet, it's well worth it. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays this fall from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. All right, timeout's over. Let's head back to 1996 and check out those football playoffs. Wolbach and Milligan had emerged from a six-man playoff bracket full of teams that have dropped out of the sports pages completely now. Few even survive in hyphenated form. The Arcadia Huskies, the Lawrence Panthers, the Benedict Eagles, the Elba Blue Jays, and Monroe, whose new nickname for some reason I don't have. Can anybody help me out? The Cody Kilgore Cowboys and the Arthur Wolves are the only teams that survive today. Wolbach's 54 points in the championship game was actually a slowdown for them. The passing combination of quarterback Craig Oakley and wideout Aide Allen had put up over 80 points in the two previous playoff games. Both D2 finalists needed dramatic finishes to make it to Memorial Stadium. Butte trailed Hay Center 20-8 on the road in the second half of their semifinal before three Kurt Peppel touchdowns extended the Wildcats' undefeated season. Humphrey St. Francis trailed 26-25 to Falls City Sacred Heart with under a minute left at Falls City Historic Jug Brown Stadium in the other semifinal. Mike Babel scored a touchdown with 55 seconds left to send the Flyers to Lincoln. Those semifinal games had all been postponed from Saturday to Monday by a statewide snowstorm that made the championship week schedule tight since there was no way to postpone any of the Memorial Stadium part of the schedule. The playoffs were more affected by weather even than usual in 1996. Many quarterfinal games were played on fields made sloppy after several inches of snow had been scraped off of them. In 1996, the Huskers' home field, Al Caniglia Field at UNO, and Omaha Central's practice field were the only artificial surfaces in the state. In the state final, St. Francis would need big plays from quarterback Paul Cush, and they would get them. The Flyers lost two starters to injuries in the final minute of that semifinal win, and then running back Babel, the hero of the semis, went down. Cush was up to the task, taking a quarterback keeper 76 yards in the second quarter to put St. Francis up 19-0. Butte would fight back, but it was too much of a head start. The Flyers won 37-20. In the D1 uh, 
playoffs. The big upset had been Anselmo Myrna's 40-34 defeat of number one undefeated Mullen. The Coyotes reversed a regular season result when the Broncos had gotten the better of them. In Lincoln, though, Eichmeyer and the Dodge Boys were just too much. For a while, it looked like the C2 playoffs were going to be a magical story for Tecumseh. The Indians, led by QB Danny Tice and Husker receiver recruit Matt Davison, advanced to the semifinals with back-to-back last-minute come-from-behind heroics to defeat Hebron 34-28 and defending champion Oakland Craig 28-26 in overtime. The Magic ran out at Norfolk Catholic in the semis, though Davison obviously kept a little in his back pocket for his Nebraska career. And the Knights punched their ticket to Lincoln with a 27-6 win. They were greeted at Memorial Stadium, though, by the dominant C2 dynasty of the 90s, the Cambridge Trojans, and Hall of Fame coach Dan Keezer. Eric Street rushed for 142 yards and three touchdowns as Cambridge won their third title in four years, 35-16. They would win two more before the decade was out. The Cambridge win came on Saturday, the coldest of the three championship days. The temps continued to drop as Battle Creek and defending champ Milford took the field later in the day for the C1 game. It was certainly a cold first half of offense for the Eagles. Battle Creek held them to 24 total yards and one first down. The Braves converted two field goals by future NU lineman Dave Volk for a 6-0 lead. In the second half, Milford found some life. Coach's kid Kyle Hinkst broke two big quarterback runs on the same misdirection call for scores. The second, an 83-yard burst where Hinkst famously checked the Memorial Stadium Husker Vision video screens for defenders behind him as he ran, but put the Eagles up 14-6 with just 56 seconds left in the game. That seemed to ignite things, though. The Braves struck quickly with a 57-yard Chuck Hughes to Ross Buckendall pass play. The two-point conversion to tie, though, fell just short of fullback Tyrone Euler's fingertips. Battle Creek was still not done. They They recovered an onside kick. But Milford's Chad Geiger recorded his 30th career interception to make the Eagles back-to-back champions. Okay, I've got time here for one last plea for you to visit the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame. Check it out online at nebhalloffame.org and see all that they have going there. See the great names they've inducted. Uh, Go to see the great memorabilia, whether it's Eric Crouch's uniform, uh, banner uh, for the first state runners-up at the first basketball tournament in 1911, or one of the joke typewriters that were sent to Raider... uh, Greg, uh, Greg McBride when he didn't rank a team number one. Remember, they're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. There were plenty of other sports going on in the fall of 1996. 96 uh, was the third year of NCAA softball competition and the last year of the one-class tournament. Class B would be added in 1997 and C in 2001. Papillion claimed its second straight state title in a streak that would grow to a state record, uh, 10. The Monarchs beat Millard South in a pitcher's duel in the winner's bracket final 1-0 as Papio's Hiller Stockwell pitched a one-hitter and had the game's only RBI. When the Indians emerged again from the loser's bracket to challenge them, 
uh, the state final would have more offense. Millard South led 3-1 in the sixth inning and looked about to force a second deciding game, but the Monarchs played one each in the final two innings to force extra innings and then exploded for three runs in the top of the eighth. Coach Mike Govig gave his players all the credit. They had their own little pep rally thing when they got behind. I just got out of the way, he said. We have a lot of gamers on this team. In boys' tennis, Millard South's Lance Mills completed an undefeated season by winning number one singles and leading the Indians to the Class A state title. North Platte and Lincoln Southeast tied for second, and Florian Priest of Omaha Benson won number two singles, the Bunnies' first tennis championship since 1931. In Class B, Grand Island Central Catholic's Troy Stratman upset defending champ Nick Vuko in the number one singles final to help his Crusaders edge Vuko's Lincoln Pius team for the Class B state title. GICC also got state title wins from Cody Calgill at number two singles and the team of Jeff Riley and Tyler Peterson at number two doubles. State cross country at Kearney saw one of its most dramatic finishes ever in the Class A girls race. Three-time champion Kelly Lindsay of Millard North was leading at about the halfway point, on her way to delivering the Mustangs the state title and to becoming the only the second athlete ever to be undefeated throughout a complete four-year cross-country career when she tore cartilage away from her ribs and collapsed, screaming in pain. Omaha North sophomore Paige Brown passed her and won the individual title, while Lincoln Southeast claimed the team title. Lindsay's withdrawal dropped Millard North to fourth in the team rankings. Amber Fairbanks of Geneva did what Lindsay fell short of in the Class D race, winning and finishing her career undefeated, a record matched only by Hastings Shauna Jones in Class A in 1986. Geneva finished second East Butler for the team title. Aurora claimed the Class B title behind back-to-back individual winner Catherine Handrup. Wayne was the Class C champion, with Monica Berger of Imperial claiming the individual honors. Kearney won its second straight Class A title on the boys' side, as Bearcat Brandon Jessup also repeated. Anthony Ald of Waverly was the Class B individual champ. Scott's Bluff claimed that team title. Elkhorn Mount Michael was the Class C team champion, while Gothenburg Shane Einspar won the individual gold. Geneva was the Class D champion, and Aaron Haraban of Wahoo Newman was the individual titleist. One of the state's best ever golfers, Lincoln High's Sarah Sassy, won her first of two state titles in 1996. Norfolk was the Class A team champ, winning the school's first ever girls title. Minden was the Class B team champion, while Aaron Gum of McCook was the individual medalist. Class C golf didn't begin until 1998. Girls gymnastics was still an NCAA-sponsored sport in 1996. Lincoln Southeast's Emily Rock was the individual medalist, but Millard North edged the Knights for the team title. It was the Mustangs' fourth straight title. The girls' championship was staged at the Bob Devaney Sports Center. The boys had to be satisfied with the Lincoln Southeast Gym, as the NSAA had dropped that sport in 1991. Lincoln East won the unofficial state meet behind individual champion Nick Batliner. The girls' meet would continue under the NSAA umbrella until 1999. The Nebraska Prep Sports World was saddened early in the fall when Lincoln East JV football coach and Lincoln Northeast summer baseball coach Mike Peterson was found dead in his home of a heart attack at age 27. 
Peterson had been a football all-stater for Northeast in high school and a standout in basketball and baseball for the Rockets in 1987. He was fondly recalled by many, many people involved in education and sports throughout the community. He is still honored every summer with a memorial baseball tournament in Lincoln during the American Legion season. The anticipation building around the Class A football playoffs was when would the Big Three, Papillion, Millard South, and Millard North meet up, and would the regular season results that favored the Monarchs hold again? Because of Millard South's late season loss, the battle of the Millards happened in the quarterfinals instead of the semis, but North Platte almost ruined that. While the other favorites were winning big, the Bulldogs, 4-5 and entering the game, struck quickly, scoring two touchdowns off Indian turnovers in just 31 seconds of game time. The missed two-point conversion allowed South to escape and set up the Crosstown Showdown with Miller North. The other big round of 16 result was Omaha Westside eliminating the Lincoln champ Northeast, 34-33 in overtime. Westside kicker Jeremy Passer converted the winning PAT and then crumpled to the ground with an MCL injury. Finals, Scott Haduck scored with a minute 23 left in the game to give Millard South a 24-21 lead over Millard North. All-Stater Crouch rallied the Mustangs and drove them from their own 18 to the South 22, where a last-second field goal went left and sent the defending champion Indians on to the semifinals where they beat Lincoln Southeast. On the other side of the bracket, Papillion rolled through Millard West in its first ever playoff appearance, Omaha Central, and Creighton Prep. This set up a rematch of the 1995 final, which Millard South had won 28-24. In both of the years, Papillion had won the regular season meeting between the two teams, and the Monarchs were set on not letting that pattern continue. It wasn't even close. Papio jumped out to a 14-0 lead, Uh, at halftime of the final and controlled the game. Mike Muma threw for 269 yards, and Paul Hunt ran for a buck 31 and three touchdowns as the Monarchs won their first title since 1990. Because of the recently expanded playoffs, they became the first ever 13-0 Class A champ. In Class B, it was supposed to be a story of the running backs. The backfield of Billy Arth and Paul Castle had led number one Lincoln Pius X on the ground all year as the Thunderbolts marched to 11 straight wins in a semifinal berth. On the other side of the bracket, Crete's Levi Mel was putting up even bigger numbers as he drove the Cardinal bus over Schuyler, York, and McCook. Mel had 329 yards against McCook in one game. Arth went for 210 for Pius against Nebraska City. It looked like they were on a collision course in Lincoln. Crete and Mel did their part, getting by Scott's Bluff 22-14, but Elkhorn and its backup quarterback, John McMenamin, changed the script in the other semifinal. McMenamin, son of the Omaha Central head football coach Joe McMenamin, took over at the end of the Antlers' quarterfinal win over Omaha Gross. Starter Andrew Schultz broke and dislocated his wrist at the end of a 50-yard TD run late in that game. The substitute rose to the challenge, leading the Antlers to a 26-13 upset of Pius. In the state final against Crete, McMiniman was again writing the story his own way, scoring a TD and completing six of nine passes in the second half as he led the Antlers' comeback. Kyle Ringenberg took the ball over the goal line late to give Elkhorn a 19-14 win and the state title. 
I just kept thinking about what Andrew Schultz told me about relaxing and enjoying myself, the young quarterback told the papers afterwards, and he and Elkhorn enjoyed a 13-0 state championship win. Well, that's a wrap on the fall of 1996. It's a year where we can see the power shift moving to the next ring of the Omaha suburbs. When we look at the late 70s and early 80s, we talk a lot about Omaha, Burke, and Westside. But in the 90s, the stories are dominated by the schools in Millard, Papillion, and Bellevue. It was also an amazing time for volleyball in Nebraska, and momentum from that still continues today. Until next time, this has been Suiting Up Varsity. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at SuitUpVarsity. See us on Facebook at facebook.com slash SuitingUpVarsity. When you get there, you can ask questions about Nebraska high school sports history or leave suggestions for future episodes. As we head into winter, this starts to be a busy season for me as a basketball coach. You may see the episodes in your feed spread out a bit. You may have noticed that this one is a day later than usual. The plan right now is to continue to have something in the feed every week, even if some of them are mini-episodes focusing on a more narrow topic. If you have any games, athletes, or issues that you think would make a great mini-episode, by all means, help a brother out. Send that idea in. We hope to hear from you soon. Also, if you like this podcast, take time to rate us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It helps others to find our show. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, Episode 4, written and produced by me, Greg Mays, technical and research assistance by Tate Mays, helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai, and as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2016.